Third and ten from the 20. Taylor in the pocket, steps up. Taylor trying to run. Taylor slowed down at the line of scrimmage. Taylor, not from behind. The ball pops loose, running down the sideline. Demario Davis, and he's tackled inside the five. Another turnover for Buffalo, and the Jets have been opportunistic all night. Handoff, running up the middle. Busting through, Matt Forte for the touchdown. Second of the night for Forte, and the Jets are pouring it on against Buffalo. Indeed, indeed, the Jets did pour it on on Thursday night football. This is the Gridiron Show in association with Touchdown Trips, getting you in the game. Coming up, we'll be reviewing all the weekend's games. Uh, We actually recorded the show before the horrendous news of Deshaun Watson's ACL tear, so there'll be a little re-recorded section when we were previewing that game. We'll have Fancy Darlings with Neil Dutton, and we'll get some more trade reaction, including Simon Clancy joining us to talk about Jay Ajayi and the situation at the Miami Dolphins. But let's start off with this game. The Jets 34 move to 4 and 5. The Bills fall to 5 and 3, 21. Despite a fourth quarter comeback driven by Tyrod Taylor bouncing back and a recovered onside, the Bills had a bit of a meltdown on national TV. They're the best turnover differential in the NFL coming to this game. 14 more takeaways and giveaways, yet they gave the ball to the opposition three times tonight. All three of them fumbles, one on the quarterback, as you heard there, the other two on receivers. And. Buffalo, they're a good defensive team. They run the ball well, but they're just not built to come from behind. Their two losses before tonight, they came by six points, by four points, both competitive games late on. This is the first time they've been well beaten, but the third best running defense in the league conceding over 180 yards on the ground when they'd only allowed 80 per game up until this point. This was a bit of a shocker for the Bills, and Coming up for them, home to the Saints, at the Chargers, at the Chiefs, home to the Patriots. They've fallen to 5-3, and three, and for a lot of people, if they'd won tonight, it would have been a really good indication that they'd finally break that millennial-long hoodoo. That fact that they hadn't been to the playoffs since 1999. You wouldn't be that shocked over the next four games to see them lose, what, three out of four of them? End up at 6-6? Six and six? Not a position they wanted to be in, and... Guess what? Life gets easier for New England Patriots fans. What a shock. For the Jets, they ran the ball really well. Good defensive performance until the fourth quarter when they went a little too prevent on the defense. But second-year man Jordan Jenkins, a third-round pick from Georgia. Two sacks, a tackle for a loss, a force fumble. He had a great game. Demario Davis had a really good day. A sack, two tackles for loss, a quarterback hit. And he recovered that fumble, as you heard there, that Jordan Jenkins forced. Jamal Adams, I thought, popped a lot. Marcus May, despite a nearly crucial late flag on him, he had a good game so the Jets they are looking like a better team amazing as we will keep saying with every win they get now at four and five considering we expected them to go oh and this season so uh yeah a, a good win for them overall but a bad night for the Bills on Thursday night football so coming up we'll be uh, we've got the adapted Sean Deshaun Watson section so I'm sorry if there's any other references to Deshaun Watson through the show but we will give our thoughts to that there fancy darlings at the end of the podcast but let's throw to us to talk about trade talk first all right, hello. Welcome to the Gridiron Show in association with Touchdown Trips, getting you in the game. You heard there at the start of the show a little review of Thursday night football. If the Bills did win tonight, and you've just heard me talking about it, six and two, the Bills, Ollie Hunter, which would mean that they're probably going to the playoffs for the first time since 1999, the longest streak Oof. in all of the NFL. 
That's amazing. Um, they've played pretty well. And when you've got players like LeSean McCoy, now Ken, Kelvin ben- Benjamin, um, Charles Clay, we don't know. I don't know whether he came back last night. I'm not sure. But um, I don't think he did. But there we go. And I said last night, but there we go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh God, the timelines are getting confused. It's actually to, to later tonight. Anyway, um, but they, they, they've got all of those. They've got that defense. Um, they're looking pretty pretty nifty. In a, in Mighty a, fine. In an AFC, which is not particularly stacked. Uh, so what we're going to do on the show coming up, we're going to react to more of the trade deadline news. We had our little special that came out that was well recorded Tuesday morning and eventually arrived in your inbox Tuesday afternoon after some upload problems. Uh, but we have got some further trade deadline stuff to get to, and then we'll look forward to the weekend's games. And the way I think we should start this, Ollie, even though you've only just got on the podcast, I'm now going to immediately malign you and push you to the side. And that, which is fine. Uh, because, I'm okay with that. Uh, JHI was the next big news of the day that came out after the podcast we released. Traded from the Miami Dolphins to the Philadelphia Eagles for a fourth round pick. And I got on the line with Simon Clancy that day to get a reaction from the Dolphins man. So, Simon Clancy, the last time you and I spoke, there was a lot of negativity around that Dolphins performance and... We spoke actually ahead of Adam Gase's press conference on the Friday when he was pretty damning of his own offense. And it kind of seems to have come to a head today. Jay Ajayi being moved to the Philadelphia Eagles. Jarvis Landry apparently on the trading block as well. Are you surprised to see these moves happening on trade deadline day? I'm not. One update. Landry apparently will not be moved. Landry's Landry's been told by the team in the last few minutes that he will not be moved. Um, Certainly not today. Uh, you know, and the Dolphins do like Landry. Um, I think there's a fairly big difference between the way that the Dolphins felt about Landry as a person and as a player, uh, and the way they felt about Ajayi as a person and, and as a player. So, so there so were two fairly big differences there. Just to confirm, so Landry, it was more of a case of moving an asset while they could get value for him. Who they were annoyed with. Yeah. But not to the level that they were annoyed with uh, uh, Ajayi. And also, you know, the, there are other things at play with Landry. You know, how much do you, pay, you know, in Jarvis's favour, he has caught more passes than any receiver in the first three and a half seasons in NFL history. So do you pay him like that? Or do you look at the fact that actually he doesn't have a lot of touchdowns, his yards per catch attempt, you know, he's like, at times he's like an extension of a running game. It, it's a very fluid situation in terms of how you pay him because Jarvis wants to be paid like one of the best receivers in the game because of the amount of balls that he's caught. Mm. The Dolphins want to pay him the sort of fee that... Seattle paid Doug Baldwin, for example, which is not what. Do you know what I mean? There's a, you know, does he be paid like Julio, Julio Jones, or is he paid like Doug Baldwin? That's it, the, and they've got to find a common ground. Because what, little, is, what is he? That's the, that's the question. It feels a little bit like the Randall Cobb deal from a few yeah, couple of years exactly. ago. It's um, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, Cobb's had the injury problems and such since, but yeah, there was a lot of difference between where he valued himself and yeah. where the team valued I mean, him. And La- Landry's the heartbeat of the team. He's the, certainly the heartbeat of the offense. He's, a, he's the one that really gets everybody going. He's the kind of guy that you build around if you're not building around a quarterback you know and he, he does perform and make huge plays in critical moments third downs first down conversions you know he blocks he runs decent routes he has excellent hands he's not had a very good season he's dropped more passes already this season than the entire last season his route running hasn't been great his blocking hasn't been great and you wonder whether or not the fact that he hasn't had a contract and Kenny Stills has had a contract has played a little bit on his mind. The fact that other guys around the league are getting contracts and he's still, you know, this is the final year of his deal. Does he get franchised? Does he get moved? That must be, that must play on somebody's mind, especially as they've, you know, invested so much. You know, you, you catch more passes than anybody in NFL history. 
you kind of feel like you want to be loved a little bit more i think i i suspect that's the the feeling uh now when it comes to ajay obviously yeah. a lot of hype here in the uk and, and there, were, there was a lot of hype going into the season you know a lot of fancy analysts talking about him being a guy who could build a team around and a guy who's going to get a lot of touches in that offense uh, there's uh, for me warning signs with his production have been there for a while anyway yep. i think he clearly has talent, but he has been a guy who has two or three big breakout games, and then a lot of kind of 50 to 70 yard, still off 20 touches type games. And I think that's been my problem with him. It's been his consistency. But it seems like Adam Gase had a lot more problem than just a consistency issue there. Yeah, I mean, this is an Adam Gase deal, you know, totally an Adam Gase deal. Uh, you know, and we reported in the magazine 12, 13 months ago when we when we did the feature on Ajay about the strained relationship let's say between Gase and Ajayi certainly you know Ajayi was not well liked a season ago in the early part of the season by um by Adam Gase you know ahead of that first Seattle game when he was benched was not a fan of him at all you know didn't like his work ethic didn't like what he what he did off the field and that was reported you know we reported that openly in the magazine last year Obviously, he had a good season, but you know, I was in the locker room after the Cleveland game when, Dolphin, when the Dolphins won their first game of the season last year, and I was surprised at Ajay's way with people. You know, he had just he won the game, and really, it was the first time he'd ever come to any sort of national notoriety out of Boise State in terms of his NFL impact. And he spoke to a couple of reporters in a way that I was very, very surprised about. And it showed me an interesting insight into his personality. And after speaking to a couple of people inside the Dolphins organization, that's the Jay Ajayi that people don't always see. Um, and he certainly had been rubbing Gase up the wrong, you know, the wrong way this season. It's, I mean, it's kind of interesting to say that because I've interviewed Jay Ajayi now probably because of the NFL UK link. I've spoken to him four or five times going yeah. right back to before he was drafted up to uh, as recently as the Super Bowl this year. I've never found him the easiest person to interview. No. He's quite laconic, but I've never known whether that's an attitude issue or just that you get some people. I mean, I remember the first time I spoke to Frank Gore. You know, I don't think I th Frank Gore loves football. And if you talk to Frank Gore about football, he'll talk. But he's yeah. not one for the storylines and for the other stuff. And he doesn't he, he's just not a big talkative guy. And so I never really I could never pick up with JJ which way that was necessarily. But I guess when you're with him kind of day in, day out, it that can get really frustrating if he's not giving you much. Yeah, I mean this is about team culture and it's about locker room chemistry or lack thereof and about pl a player not buying in and Gase made that fairly obvious last week. And that you know, I I rewatched that press conference and he said you know, Adam says that if um you know if players aren't going to buy in then we'll get rid of them. And that's what he did. You know, this is a this is a guy who I'm told that you know, this season had, has reverted back to his pre-Seattle, you know, week one of of last season attitude. You know, he complained bitterly about not getting the football. I'm told he stormed out of the locker room after a win this season because he didn't get enough carries. In his opinion, he wasn't touching the ball enough. You've seen him come to the sideline at times looking very angry about the fact that he's been taken out of games on third down, even though his blocking has remained an issue. He's worked hard, apparently, in the off-season at catching the ball out of the backfield, but he's really struggled with that. And apparently all these complaints were done kind of undercover in inverted commas. They were done to other teammates. They were done to his running back coach, but apparently never never to Adam Gaze. And I think the culmination of everything came in that that game last week where it was fairly obvious that, you know, he was missing blocks, he was missing running lanes, um, and he was frustrating the hell out, out of his head coach. And, you know, Gaze has proved in the past that he's not going to, you know, you look at what he did after the Tennessee game last year when he got rid of Dallas Thomas and he got rid of um, and he got rid of Billy Turner straight away. You know, after a terrible game against the Titans, they were both cut. 
you know, third round picks, cut. You know, Gaze isn't, this is his team. He is not messing about when it comes to these kind of things. And, you know, you look at what Ajay has done this season. You know, he's averaging 3.4 yards a carry. No touchdowns in 152 touches. That's more than any other player in terms of touches to no touchdowns um, around the league. Yeah. And you look at the film, and I'm, and I'm not saying this after the fact now, and he was a great receiver at 12 o'clock today, a great running back at 12 o'clock today, and now he's a rubbish one because we've, we've traded him. You look at the game film, he struggles to find those cutback lanes on, on zone plays. He bounces way too many plays, you know, outside. He bounces inside, runs outside. And defences see that and they key on that. So they clog those inside lanes and they know that he's going to try and push it outside rather than taking the two, three, four yards. And that's what Gay said. Gay said, our running back is too often looking for the for the home run play, for the Hollywood play. He needs to start taking the four and the five yards that he, he has offered rather than trying to run for a touchdown on every play. Mm. So this is essentially an in-locker room, insubordination issue that the head coach just, you know, and he said, and Gay said as well, I've been dealing with this for two years now. I'm not going to deal with it any longer. And he made the ultimate statement. Yeah, and, and the, only, the only thing that people are saying, and this is obviously something that will... <laughs> it's, it's difficult because you're making a statement to the locker room of saying, look, if you're not going to do, put in the work, if you're not going to study, if you're not going to have the right attitude, then you're not going to be a Miami Dolphin but he gets traded to a Super Bowl contender and some people have kind of somewhat wryly, somewhat kind of jokingly mentioned that on Twitter when I've been saying that I think there's a there's a risk that JHI is a bust as far as I'm concerned because not only does he have potential longer-term knee issues, but if all of these attitude issues aren't ironed out by being moved on, then you've got that added to the fact that outside of the big games his production isn't at the level it needs to be on a consistent basis there's a concern for me that he's not going to pan out um but if you were looking purely at jhi the runner and you look at the system they run in philadelphia is there any positivity for eagles fans that they are getting a guy who can really elevate them and move them on in this kind of what's been a fantastic season for them so far it's interesting because ajay does his best work the longer the game goes on. I don't think that a Doug, uh, a Doug Peterson offense does that in terms of... I don't think Ajay is going to get 20, 25 carries a game. I think they're going to rotate backs. You know, LeGarrette Blunt has been successful. You know, I, I may be wrong. It may be that Ajay comes in and starts and plays and carries the ball 25 times. I just don't think he will do that. Listen, he's a good running back. He's a good player. You know, and if he, if he has holes, he's going to hit them. He will, you know, he will break tackles. Um... You know, so there's no denying his talent. And, you know, people can say, oh, he had inflated statistics because he had three 200-yard games last season. We can use that as a negative, but you also use that as a positive. He also yeah. had three, three <laughs> yeah. 200-yard games Fair. last season. And there's not very many people, you know, I think four backs in NFL history have had back-to-back. You can't take that away from him, regardless of, you know, which side of the debate you fall down on. You know, Earl Campbell, Ricky Williams, OJ Simpson, and I think Jay Ajayi. I mean, that's pretty lofty, you know, and you don't run for 200 yards against the Pittsburgh Steelers, against the Buffalo Bills, against the whoever it was, the New York Jets, you know, if you're not a good player. This is the NFL. We're not talking about, you know, peewee football. These are good players. You know, the Jet, and you know the Steelers still had Lawrence Timmons and they still had Joe Van Hargrave and they still had Bud Dupree and they still had all those good players, Mike Mitchell, and, you know, he was running all over those guys, you know, all game long. So, yeah, he's a good, he's a good player. I just wonder how he fits into that, you know, whether or not they continue with the rotation. 
And also, you know, pass protection has been a big issue for him. It was mm. a big issue for him last week. He, you know, three or four times he missed blocks. He couldn't pick up his hit the blitzing Baltimore defender, be it linebacker, be it safety. And you'd argue that's the biggest reason for him being moved on because if Absolutely. you're studying and you're learning, you've seen guys come in and and learn to do that. You see someone like Melvin Gordon who has gone from being a guy yep. who couldn't operate in the passing game at all in his rookie season to being now an every down back. Yep. Um, I mean, look. What, I mean, again, going back to what Gay said. I don't even think we know which guy we're supposed to be picking up on. And that, you know, that's a fairly damning indictment of a, of a player who's now been in the NFL for three seasons. Beautiful stuff. Simon Clancy, thank you for your time. No worries, Will Gavin. Simon Clancy on Jay Ajayi. Um, Ollie, I kind of gave my thoughts as well a little bit. I'm kind of need to... Jay Ajayi needs to prove himself to me in Philadelphia. There was a great piece from Connor Orr when he talked about uh, how Jay Ajayi, on his new job at SI... Um, needed was potentially a real upgrade for them in the pass pro game but he was dreadful in pass protection against Baltimore and he hasn't run well this season and yeah he needs to prove something to me for this to be me going wow that's really helped this Super Bowl contender even more yeah I mean aside from those three was it three 200 plus yard games or big games he hasn't run well in in his career, the he's, pop- it, it's because he still averaged four yards a game in the other in most other games last year. He'd where he had less touches and game flow and everything else. But this season, he's just been poor. Yeah. Most touches in the NFL for someone without a touchdown by a country mile, um, just poor. Yeah, just really poor. Yeah, it's damning. And you guys probably spoke about this, but it's damning that um, he was traded for just a fourth round pick. It's it's it was a almost an Alex Ferguson esque. I'm going to get him out in any way I can. He needs to be out of the building. It was obviously a bad egg. Uh, I know NFL UKers and Dolphin fans don't want to hear that, but the all of the all of the signs point to the fact that they did not want him in the building. The team wasn't playing well, um, and it, it, he must have been the catalyst or, or partly the catalyst for all of that. So I think it's a good move from the Dolphins. Yeah, uh, agreed. And Simon Clancy said much of the same. Uh, let's um, turn us... Uh, we talked a lot about the Garoppolo trade on uh, Tuesday, but there's been some more context to it. Bill Belichick has done his press conference or his, his phoner where he's basically said that they really wanted to keep him around. He thought they had the best quarterback situation in the NFL and that actually he was really disappointed that they had to let it move on, but he just felt like there was no other option at this point. Um, really interesting to hear as well from Tom Brady, who the news came down while he was doing his like weekly yeah. Tuesday call on a radio show he does in, in Boston. And uh, yeah, he clearly wasn't happy that Jimmy Garoppolo was going, that essentially he doesn't have a backup there now that they have signed Brian Hoyer on a three-year deal since that. Brian Hoyer, someone who Tom Brady knows very well, backed him up for a long time. So Tom Brady uh, backed him up for a long time? He, exactly, yeah, yeah. perfect. Uh, no, Hoyer was the backup in New England for three seasons previously. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And he will be for another three coming up by the looks of it. So, yeah, a, a, a bit more context on that side. On the 49ers side, Kyle Shanahan has just Well, before we get to the 49ers, what do you make of uh, Mike McCarthy reportedly going in for Brian Hoyer? I mean, that's not really a surprise to me. Hoyer's been poor this season, but he could operate that. He could operate that system in Green Bay with reasonable ease. I'm not yeah. so I'm not surprised. Um yeah, maybe if you chase him a bit harder. But for Hoyer, it's just the easy solution is go and sit in New England for the same money and do what you're used to doing and get back out of that limelight after a poor first few games of this year. Exactly. Make your money, 
get out. Yeah, I don't blame Hoyer at all. Um, the uh, situation in San Francisco is that um, Carl Shanahan has said that he might not even play this year, which is absolutely crazy. With eight games left, when he's got a contract needs to be signed at the end of the season, although obviously the 49ers could franchise tag him. Uh, and if you have that kind of agreement in advance with, with Don Yee, his agent, and with him and say, look, here's what we're going to do. Because we don't know what's there and we know that you've got value on the market, we're going to franchise tag you now with a view to getting a long-term deal done. But I think that works out for both sides. You get paid $20-plus million. We get a guy for a year while we kind of check that you are what you look like in those few games on tape. I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's the route they end up going down. Although, similarly, if they manage to get him you know, on a, a few-year deal for decent starter money and get it nailed down I mean they've kind of had to go all in on him at this point well maybe not second round pick so do you think them not playing him is I, they won't it would play be him. like a, a sack for sack one they, they, suck they, for sack one suck for sack one they won't, play, they won't play him this weekend anyway because he's not been in the system long enough um, and then I think it's the bye week the next week so that's the kind of perfect setup to bring him in the following week I, th- I think that's when we see Jimmy Garoppolo. I'd be really surprised if CJ Pathard was still under centre in three mm. weeks time do you also think that part of them signing Garoppolo is because not that the 49ers fans were falling out of love but we weren't seeing a full it's not a candlestick whatever the stadium is that we've both been to (laughs) (laughs) we we haven't seen that stadium full and someone like Garoppolo could get more bums on seats I think it's more just about it was they were going to go into this offseason with the uncertainty of the Kirk Cousins situation. And yes, they could have gone and found a quarterback at the top of the draft because they are going to be picking right up there and there are three or four guys you'd really look at. This way, they've got their quarterback at least for the near future yeah. in place. If he doesn't work out, he doesn't work out. But you could say that about any of the players that they would draft or even Kirk Cousins. You know, And effectively, they've drafted him at the top of the second round. Yeah, so in, in a way, that's kind of what's worked out for them. And what you're getting is a guy who's studied with Belichick and Brady for four years and yada, yada, yada. A lot of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and Matt said a lot of this on the podcast the other day. Sure, but sure, sure. I, yeah, I, Sorry, I think... Mate. No, no, it's uh, fine. I just think it gives them more clarity going into the off-season and they can focus on the O-line, the defensive backfield, the running back situation, as you've, uh, as you've highlighted with Saquon Barkley. The 49ers also swapped Rashad Robinson for an undisclosed pick with the New York Jets. A fourth-round pick two years ago struggled with penalties this season, flashed a bit of upside uh, with seven pass deflections and one pick in seven starts this year. Um, Akella Witherspoon uh, was brilliant this past weekend, actually played really well. Um, and Richard Robinson really struggled against the Cowboys. I don't, you know, it's not a blockbuster move, but we'll mention it while we're talking about the 49ers. Have you seen that Todd Bowles was taken surprised by this uh, trade? <laughs> he didn't know it was <laughs> going to happen. He, uh, prompting uh, Rich Samini um, uh, said that Bowles was informed by the media during a press cro- conference, prompting him to say, Did we? I wasn't a. Sorry, did we? I wasn't aware. Oh my God, don't do that accent ever. I do not know what that is. I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> but Where do you think he's from? Well, he's got a really deep... A Wiley Coyote cartoon. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't aware of that, but I'll go upstairs and check on it. I'll go upstairs and check on it. Wow, oh God. it's amazing. Never do that again. So jetsy. There was one big deal left in the NFL and one big deal that never went through before the trade deadline. The Bills dealt the Panthers wide receiver Kelvin Benjamin at 3.57pm Eastern Time, three minutes before the deadline. Uh, third and seventh round pick Benjamin uh, cost the Bills and... I think this, for me, 
there's an interesting situation here, and we'll know more about it whether you, when you're listening to this, you'll know whether the Bills won on Thursday night or not. I think Benjamin fits their offense. They need a big body guy with Charles Clay down, but also a deep threat with no Sammy Watkins there. And Kelvin Benjamin can be both of those things because mm. he's got pace, but he's also this big six three, towering. They they six, are five years. Six, six five. That's five. amazing, isn't it? Um, he. He improves their offense immediately. They're an offense which hasn't turned over the ball a lot, which has run the ball really well. Um, I mean, we've said it a lot of times on this show. We are positive on Tyrod Taylor. We like him more than I think uh, certainly the the Bills seem to before recently. I yeah, I think he's a serviceable starting quarterback in the NFL. And the fact that they're five and two, maybe six and two, or five and three by the time you listen to it, they're well in for a playoff run. And some people have gone, well, why trade away Sammy Watkins for a mid round pick to only bring in Kelvin Benjamin for an earlier mid round pick and a late pick later in the later in the summer I, I think because you're now looking like you could go to the playoffs yeah. so you make a move to be instantly good and, and it kind of ties in with everything I've been thinking about this trade deadline it's easily the most the busiest trade deadline day we've seen it's great wasn't it and the Patriots kind of leading the way a little bit they've had eight trades this season already six last season which led the NFL in itself um, it's amazing not to see the Patriots do anything more before the trade deadline, considering they picked up those extra picks. I'm sure Matt Sherry got off his plane, landing in the States, finding out that the Patriots had done nothing more and was absolutely livid with the situation. I like to hope he was. Um, the only team this doesn't make any sense for is the Panthers. Like a third and a seventh. And what they've said is they've said, we've got a big bodied guy in Devin, Devin Funches. Funches. We need more whatever else. But... You've not got a huge amount for a guy who at times has looked like a number one receiver, who at times has worked really well with Cam Newton. Your running game's not looking great at the moment. I, I just think the Panthers... Wh- how, why are you tanking the season when you've still got a winning record at the moment in a division which is very competitive? It's a weird one. It is a very weird a one. A weird one because uh, Benjamin and Funches were working well together. Um or they had been up until the last couple of weeks where the offense and the, the passing game had slowed down a little bit. Uh, it, it's a really, really strange one. It's a real look forward because he's due a big contract. But why are you, if you're still in contention, look, the Bills are making moves to help themselves in contention. Mm. Why are you doing anything which would reduce the possible impact? There's an, there's an impact on their running back and wide receiving call here, I think. When you've got Funches, you do have already that big guy. I think we could see more of Christian McCaffrey as a wide receiver and a slot receiver, seeing as it hasn't really worked out for him on the ground. And we saw Cameron Artis Payne and Fawlty Whitaker run the ball, as well as Jonathan Stewart in the last game against Tampa Bay. It could mean that McCaffrey, with the number 22 on his back, is a, is a wide receiver now rather than... A running back. We'll have to wait and see. Their, their receivers are Devon Funches, Curtis Samuel, Russell Shepard, Ed Dixon. Uh, well, Olsen, till Olsen returns, it's yeah. They brought in those Kane and Clay as well, uh, who they brought from Buffalo last year, I believe. And Brenton Bursin has just been brought in as well, who also used to play with the team. So it's by no means a, a star-studded, stellar um, re- receiving core, but. Um, yeah, it's it's a strange one. It's really, really interesting tweet from Bill Voth, Panthers beat writer, who says, ran into Marty Herney briefly. Two biggest reasons is to get more speed on the field and use a more varied skill set. Now, this is the only thinking where I think maybe what they're trying to do makes some sense, although I still don't think it does. But 
what they're almost trying to justify it as is we've just gone and got Curtis Samuel, we've just gone and got Christian McCaffrey, and we've really not got either of them going because when we've worked on offense, it's actually been doing what we did in 2015, not what we're now looking to do, which is a lot more stuff with those guys out of the backfield, mm-hmm. a lot more of the short passing routes, a lot more basically doing the kind of stuff that we've seen out of teams like um, like the Falcons in recent seasons, yes, um, like Washington. And it's almost like you, you can't have more than 11 men on the field by getting rid of one of our receivers who you feel like you have to give 50 snaps a game to. If you're going to have 60 snaps on offense, then we've given ourselves a lot more wiggle room to play those guys, bring them in, introduce them more. But I just amazed that when he says more speed on the field, they haven't gone and got somebody else to, to kind of make up the numbers. Also, the it's, weird, it's weird that they got rid of Benjamin rather than Funchess. Funchess is not a, as good a receiver as Benjamin. So you're getting rid of your best deep threat big guy. I guess the, the argument is injuries, isn't it? Um, late paperwork nixed the Browns signing AJ McCarron for what we reported second round and third round pick. What a moment of desperation from the Cleveland Browns to go and do that for AJ McCarron, who I understand has a relationship with Hugh Jackson from his time in Cincinnati. But that essentially looks to me like, oh no, we've missed out on Jimmy Garoppolo. We better do something to keep the fans happy. Let's go and try get AJ McCarron. I had a Browns fan on Twitter who was just being the most insufferable human being, trying to make out that this was all done on purpose. Like Hugh Jackson was like, actually, I don't want that guy in the building. Why are you doing this? Don't put the paperwork in. But they put it in late to kind of save a bit of face rather than turning around and saying, oh, no, we don't want to do it. Marvin Lewis has said he's relieved about it. I'm, I'm still amazed AJ McCarron hasn't had a chance over Andy Dalton mm. at some point in the last two years because Andy Dalton's play has been incredibly patchy. And AJ McCarron, he might lack the upside and the ceiling of a really great NFL quarterback. But he has the skill set to be like an Alex Smith in the right offense. I think AJ McCarron would have been fine at the Browns. I think the price was too high. But to have this guy coming at me saying that it was all done on purpose and, oh, it was just boring. It was just so annoying. Um, I don't think NFL teams really do that, do they? I mean, no. it's something that I mean, what, you could see maybe Belichick doing. Well, but... my point to him was, so what you're telling me is that the general manager and front office of an 0-8 team spent time trolling a divisional rival instead of trying to make their own team better. Yeah. In which case, I, I, it's wasted time. That's all that I see there. So it's a bizarre one. I'd like, like to know what this guy's uh, source was. Yeah, just being yeah. a Browns fan, I well, think. there we go. Um, although, some positivity for the Browns. Josh Gordon is getting yet another opportunity. Cleveland's Brown receiver, who hasn't played a regular season game now in three years, set to be reinstated on a conditional basis by the NFL. He'll be able to train with the team in two weeks' time, beginning Monday the 20th of November. So he's only going to be eligible in December, basically, to return to the team, all those people who went out, including me, and picked him up in fantasy before they revealed that timeline, is a little bit frustrating. He's not going to be available for you, basically, for the next four weeks, uh, until a week before the playoffs start. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, You take a flyer, it goes wrong. We'll get over it. Um, Everyone around Josh Gordon, his agent and everyone else, I mean, he had to pass some pretty rigorous testing and everything to prove that he was ready to come back. Interesting that the... um, the agents have also been uh, coming out and banging the drum for how physically fit he is, how ready he is to go, and it's going to be fascinating to see what kind of player he can be coming back into the team. I think for the Browns, if he can retain his rights, this is more about next season than this season. But the guy has the talent of a number one receiver. Yeah. 
That that is without question. Twenty thirteen. 14 games, 87 receptions, 1,646 yards, 9 touchdowns. And in that, uh, uh, the season before, he, um, he had 261 yards in one game against Jacksonville. This guy is a fantastic receiver. He's quick, he's big, great hands. It would be great to see him back in the league. I'm really, really, really looking forward to him doing it, and I hope he does. Yeah, absolutely right. Shall we? Um, I think that's kind of rounded up the rest of the trade stuff. Uh, anything else that you wanted to get to or mention? Did or you anything? do? You did Lane Taylor. Uh, uh, sorry, Jeremy Lane and um, Dwayne Brown. Yeah, yeah, we got into all of that on the earlier show. I downloaded. I did not listen. Yeah, and that's absolutely. And fine. I'd like to apologise. There was a cross wires. It was my bad. I apologise for not being on the last show. It's fine. I was available. Amazingly, you were in the building. I was in the building. We I didn't even know. Just. Read, read your WhatsApps. I just misread them. Uh, you, I think you just didn't read them. No, I think you looked at it and went, 20 messages from these goobers. I'm not bothering with that. I'm just going to skim read them. That has happened before. I can imagine uh, that that's happened before, because yeah. I've definitely done that before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I need to learn the lesson to maybe send you a separate message. Uh, look, let's take a little break, and then we will come back and uh, talk about this weekend's games. Woohoo! The situation in the Pacific is worse than reported. The Japanese are planning something big. What's the target? Midway. From the director of Independence Day. A couple dozen planes. It's all Japanese fleet. We got the order to launch. Discover the incredible true story. Today we're going to be underdogs. Of the World War II battle. Good luck, boys. Fire! Midway. Download and keep now. All right, let's take a look then to the Week 9 games. I feel like we need to apologise that we never really did a Week 8 review, but too much happened around the trade deadline. It all kind of kicked off. So we're going to Week 9 instead. Uh, let's talk about another big bit of news that we haven't covered already is that this weekend the Denver Broncos, struggling down now at 3 and 4, will be starting Brock Osweiler under centre when they go to face the red-hot Philadelphia Eagles at Lincoln Financial Field. On paper, this was a great game going into this. Is there any justification, Ollie, this is still a great game? No. I, I just, what I will say, a weakened Eagles offensive line. Yeah. J.H.I. hasn't had time to learn the scheme and system, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there, particularly with a guy who Adam Gase wants us to believe doesn't have book smarts and doesn't work hard. I just feel like there is potential for an upset here, particularly with an eight-point favourite for, for Philadelphia that those Broncos defensive ends, and they've got Shane Ray coming back this week, in addition to a, a Shaquille Ballard, who's played brilliant this season yeah. already, and Von Miller, which means you've now got three premier pass rushers on the outside who you can rotate. I just think that could cause the Eagles a few fits this week. Yeah. Okay. You've, you've convinced me. I was kind of thinking uh, that I was glad that we don't have to watch this, us being in, an, in a stadium in the States. But, uh, yeah, humble brag. Um, but yeah, okay. That de- Denver defense against the the Philadelphia offense, and be it will be good to see how Carson Wentz deals with that. It's it will be. I don't know whether it, it will be his sternest test um, facing that, uh, as you say, those three premier pass rushes. So that will be interesting. It's just on the other side of the ball. I, I don't. I think the Broncos will be without um, Emmanuel Sanders again. So that leaves them basically with Demarius Thomas and Brock Osweiler. 
I just, I really thought we'd never see him back in the NFL, and I kind of was okay with him being the backup, and now he's he's starting. And Trevor Simeon was awful. He was. But Brock Osweiler, please, guys. <laughs> well, the thing is with Paxton Lynch, I think if Paxton Lynch was fully healthy, we might have already seen him start last weekend. Yeah, probably, yeah. Um, but they they seem very... Actually, they t- seem two very similar players, Osweiler and Lynch, both unable to read the field, um, wobbly passes, um, panicking. I just... I'm, I'm not looking forward to seeing... Brock Osweiler on, on an NFL team again. <laughs> for, and, I, and don't get me wrong, I'm sure that Fletcher Cox et al. will also be looking to have some fun against the Broncos. Yeah. Five turnovers last weekend. And admittedly, you know, a couple of those came on, on fumbles. But yeah, that is... Uh, if I'm the Philadelphia defensive line, I think if people like watching battles in the trenches, they're going to have some fun with this game uh, this coming week. Um, uh, I'm taking the Eagles, though. Home to field advantage, everything they've had this year. I just think it might be a tighter game than people expect. Yeah, on the Brock, uh, Brock Osweiler predictor game. On the uh, Gridiron, <laughs> Gridiron Magazine predictor game, I've also taken You're having a bit of a Brock Osweiler predictor game season with it, let's be honest. I really, so. Well, I'm never good at these predictions. I always go for the Flyers. <laughs> I, I like that other people are now calling out Matt Sherry on Twitter for potentially, be, potentially being a cheat. Because I think there are times where he's picked something on the podcast and then miraculously has had way more wins in a week. I don't understand. Than he has when yeah. he's come in and picked on the podcast. Yeah, just I agree. saying. He still owes saying. me a pick for for that first pick of the season as well. He has the ability to do it as well. Yeah, he I has, don't. He has the back door. Technically, you do, but let's move on. Do I? Uh, I'm not going to teach you how to cheat <laughs> at the game, just so you can clamber your way back up the table. Right. But technically, you could. I wouldn't do that. That would be wrong. Yeah, I'm glad that you understand that. Uh, let's talk about the All NFC Clash. We'll talk to the guy about the games that we're going to later. All NFC Clash, uh, NFC South Clash in Carolina, as the faltering Atlanta Falcons, coming off that 25 to 20 win over the Jets in the pouring rain of New Jersey, go up against Carolina, uh, a Carolina team who in the themselves have struggled offensively yes they beat the Bucks 17-3 but it wasn't a strong performance these are the last two teams to lose in Super Bowls and they're kind of both proving just how difficult it is when you're a losing Super Bowl team to bounce back from that yeah they really are it, the, the interesting thing about this game is that um, okay both teams haven't ever really recovered from from their Super Bowl hangovers but off the back of this trade deadline day, the, the Panthers have an awful lot to prove, especially on offense. Their defense has been playing really well, and restricting Tampa Bay to just three points last week was was pretty good, despite everything that we say about Tampa Bay's offense not being as fluid, fluid as anywhere near as fluid as it should be. Atlanta Falcons, their offense, led but still led inexplicably by Steve Sarkeesian, is um, stuttering at best. And we haven't seen that one-two punch of Coleman and Freeman up until maybe last week where they started to get a bit of it back against the Jets. The biggest um, the biggest thing or surprise so far this season, Falcons-wise, is not the regression of Matt Ryan, which um, some may have expected, definitely expected. He, could nowhere, he couldn't have had a, a better, as good a year as he did last year when he was MVP. But... They said that they were going to get Julio Jones more in the game, more red zone targets. He's had one touchdown. That was last week. He's only he's only got 540 yards. When you put that against Antonio Brown, he's got about 800 and other 
number one wide receivers are showing that that they truly are a, wide, a number one wide receiver. I don't know whether it's because he's getting double teamed, or I don't know whether it's... I think it's just some crap play calling again. It, it must be that crap play <laughs> calling. And I want to see more from Julio. Uh, I think, actually, the Carolina Panthers um, backfield, or, okay, as I said, had a good game against Tampa Bay last year, last week, sorry. Um, I, I think today would be... Or, or, or the, the game against the Panthers would be an ideal time for a bit of a breakout game for Julio. There, there have been half a dozen players limited in practice for the Falcons midweek, and we don't know uh, the claims from Dan Quinn are they're all going to be back and ready to go. So injuries could be a problem for them. But I don't know, Carolina are fra- favoured in this game, and I think that they've shown flashes and moments, particularly very early in the season, that first three-game run where their defense looked absolutely brilliant. This is going to be a really interesting matchup to see what the Falcons can actually bring. Because I think last weekend was a a kind of get-healthy game, as we call it, in terms of their... Um, in terms of grinding out a win in terms of mm. coming from behind in terms of not losing a lead late when they could have done all of those mental issues that they have now I need to see them go out and put on a nice sexy performance I'm kind of I think I'm going to go with Carolina I think their defense is going to have too much for uh, defense is going to have too much for Steve Sarkeesian I think that even though offensively I haven't liked Carolina recently I think this is going to be a much lower scoring game than it should be based on the talent that's out there and uh, yeah I'm going to take Carolina at home I think I hadn't taken that in the picks and I'm now changing it I'm taking the Falcons I can't remember why I think I'm taking the Falcons I can't remember why no 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 I think I I think I'm taking the Falcons because I was upset at uh, Kelvin Benjamin no longer being a Panther but now I'm okay with him being a Bill Uh, I yeah Thinking, thinking on it. Yeah, I'll take the Falcons. All right, Ravens, Titans, the four and four Ravens, uh, who won forty to nothing last week against the Titans, and yet against the uh, Dolphins, and yet to me still didn't quite look yeah. right on offense. Well, it was it's three of defensive touchdowns. It, yeah, it's it's amazing to say that for a team winning forty to nothing, going up against a four and three Tennessee uh, side who. Uh, 31st in red zone efficiency this season, 11 sacks in seven games, um, which is well down on what we'd expect from them. I, the Titans have been a disappointment this year, even though they're sitting at four and three. And do you know what? They're, they're, they're like the anti-Jags in those terms, because the Jags, whilst they've been incredibly up and down, have been a pleasant surprise how good they've been in the good games. Tennessee, it's been a surprise how bad they've been most games considering what we wanted to see from them. And yes, they had the Mariota injury, which is a problem, and getting some time off uh, is going to help him massively. So, yeah, I, I, think this is, I think what we'll see this weekend is them start to try and get Mariota's legs working mm. again. They're 27th on third down conversions on offense. And when you're in third and short situations, you've got a quarterback who can scramble. That helps you massively. Um, and also, I've just, I'm not ready to buy into the Ravens off the back of that one 40-point route, which got them back to 500. Uh, Joe Flacco apparently has passed the concussion protocol and will play this weekend. What that means, I don't know at the moment. The only thing that gives me some pause is the Titans' defense has been good this year, and Alex Collins looked great against the Dolphins. Yeah, ninth in the league uh, in terms of rushing yards. He has looked really good. It's been a great pickup by the the Ravens there, and I'm not too keen on that Tennessee front seven really at all. Um, Mariota, I think, needs a big game. 
he hasn't looked himself. Okay, as you said, the injury hasn't helped. But getting Corey Davis back as a, an extra weapon, the, the rookie wide receivers missed the last five games through injury, um, will help. Um, with Rashad Matthews in there, you've got Delaney Walker, who hasn't looked anywhere near as good as... There's been a bit of a, a drop-off for the old old man Walker um in the last, in the in the first, it's it's amazing to think games. the Titans have actually won their last two games. Yeah, it doesn't feel like that, does it? Because it was that late win over the Colts on Monday Night Football, where the Colts gave them some fits and starts, but they couldn't convert a fourth down late, and we got that big Derrick Henry run, and then that twelve nine win in Cleveland, which yeah. is a game that we all want to forget about two weeks ago. But I just with the bye week with Mario getting healthy, I'm going to take a Titans home win. Yeah, Titans home win for me. And so to our game on Sunday Night Football. It's weird that this story is coming so late in the show, and I apologise for that. But uh, Deshaun Watson in training. We recorded this around lunchtime on Thursday with the intention of doing our usual insert, the Thursday Night Football preview in. But the devastating news on Thursday afternoon, Deshaun Watson went down non-contact with an ACL tear on Thursday afternoon in practice and will miss the rest of the season. Some great... uh, outpouring of love coming from the rest of the league Odell Beckham getting out there and involved obviously someone who's missed missing the rest of the season himself and there's going to be a lot of talk about whether there's a disproportionate number uh, of injuries this season I I don't think there is a disproportionate number I think it's because of the size of the names maybe a disproportionate number of quarterbacks going down but yeah, when you look at the, the, the names of the people who have uh, been injured this season, J.J. Watt, Odell Beckham, Andrew Luck, Julian Edelman, Eric Berry, David Johnson, Dalvin Cook, Jason Peters, Joe Thomas, Ryan Tannehill, Darren Sproles, Marshall Yonder, and now add the Sean Watson to that. There are future Hall of Famers in there. There are genuine superstars in that list. And it, yeah, it was great to see the likes of Teddy Bridgewater getting involved as well. Uh, he tweeted, been overcoming adversity your entire life never lost faith once the battle is already won claim your victory you're a born winner at the Sean Watson so look there was a real feeling around the league of why this injury is so important and what an amazing season he was having and the fact that he was very much leading the rookie of the year candidacy I mean 400 yards and four touchdowns in Seattle even in a loss is incredibly impressive and that was just last weekend obviously we're absolutely gutted that on the touchdown trips tour we're now not going to get to see Deshaun Watson in action and that's now my goal over the next couple of years is to try and see him live in some capacity once he's back and I'm sure at his age with the advances in medical science he will bounce back from this and you know all the love in the world to Texas let's talk about what it means for this game and Tom Savage comes in I still believe that the Texans overall have a better roster than the Colts so I'm picking the Texans and I think that Ollie will probably do the same let's not forget Tom Savage ran this offense where reasonably last season uh, at times and you know they've actually simplified the offense in a big way this season for the Sean Watson that's not in no way to slag off to Sean Watson but Bill O'Brien's been really clever in his coaching, not only to simplify the offense a bit for somebody coming out of college and reducing his reads and making it easier for him, but actually he's used his maneuverability uh, and used the fact that he can move in the pocket. Very few of his runs are, are properly designed runs, but they've brought an option plays this year. They have brought those elements into the game and they've used his legs in an intelligent way, not just in that kind of playground football, Russell Wilson style, which has worked brilliantly for the Seahawks for recent years. But yeah, they have managed to develop a really good offense there, which kind of brings me to an interesting point, And that's Colin Kaepernick. 
Um, it's not a name that I invoke a lot on this show, and people know that I don't normally talk about his footballing side of things too often because, you know, I watched him play week in, week out for the 49ers. I know his limitations. But I just feel like with Bill O'Brien, with the offense they've got in Texas, if they can pull off the win this weekend against the Col- Colts and go back to back to the kind of uh, four, uh, back to 500, back to four and four, You've got the Titans and the Jags in this league who are so up and down, and their running game is coming up. They've got to go to the Rams, which is super tough, but then the Cardinals, the Ravens uh, on a long week, the Titans, the 49ers, you know, there's four very winnable games there. If you bring Kaepernick in now, give him a couple of weeks, maybe run out Tom Savage against the Rams, the Texans do still have a shot at the AFC South. There are other guys out there available as well, but obviously having the trade deadline passed, there's nobody that's that splashy, and I absolutely believe that they could be a team, and and guess what? I know this is cynical to think about it, but what does that do for Bob McNair after what happened to him during the off-season? So, I just think that's one to potentially consider for the Texans. Um, Deshaun Watson absolutely gutted, gutted for football in general, gutted for us for this weekend I'm taking the Texans still um, and I think my line when I threw to Sherry and Clancy was something about they should expect an easy home win too so here's uh, us talking about that next of the 6 o'clock games and the rest of this weekend and don't forget Fancy Darlings with Neil Dustin coming up as well Because this is a, a tighter game Tampa Bay still lacking edge rush, which I think is a real problem, particularly against an improving running game. The Saints running game, in fact, has been brilliant since Adrian Peterson left. Yeah. Melvin Ingram has been cracking or cracking or classic. I can't work out which one. All of them. Really good the last two weeks. And Alvin Kamara has been a revelation. It's, there was a really interesting uh, tweet I saw that Alvin Kamara actually was picked up in a trade from the um, – was picked up in a trade – with the 49ers, the Saints moving up in the draft. And I would have loved to have seen Alvin Kamara and the way that he operates, that he operates inside that, uh, inside that 49ers. What, instead of Matt Breeder? Well, I like Matt Breeder. I actually do. But I just, Alvin Kamara in a Carl Shanahan offense, that'd be exciting. That's a great point. He's very Tevin Coleman-esque, isn't he? But we have then turned that pick into Jimmy Garoppolo. And brilliantly, there, <laughs> there was a, uh, there was a, a tweet that was put out there, and I'm going to find it. I don't care if I have to stall and faff for well, ages. Well, no, no, I've never known it. you to be so excited to talk about the the 49ers. <laughs> not since not since draft day, in fact, when you had uh, when you picked up two guys, two guys, two guys in uh, in the first round. Who was it? Reuben Foster. Who was the other fellow that you picked up at the end of the first round? At the top of the first round, picked up Solomon Thomas. And That's Reuben Foster at the end. That's the, the one. That's the one. So I don't know whether you've been more excited about talking about the 49ers, uh, so which I'm pleased about. The, the, <laughs> the, the point is, is that the compensation that we, that we got for just dropping down one place in the draft got us Solomon Thomas, got us extra picks, and got us... Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. I'm pretty happy with what we've done there. Yeah. Pretty happy all round. You found your tweet yet? Uh, I've not. And I, I, that's basically what it said, but in a more concise and erudite way. Um, <laughs> Which could be said for anything comparing <laughs> to us. 
so, yeah, I mean, I'm taking the Saints. I don't think the Bucks are going to get healthy here. Uh, I think the Saints are too well set up on offense, and their defense has really improved this year. What I'd like to see from Tampa Bay is Jameis Winston making some better decisions, is Doug Martin seeing the ball pretty much constantly and trying to grind something out in a divisional game. Divisional games are always quite hard to call anyway, which is why I think it'll be tighter. But Norlands for me. Norlands for me. Uh, I am loving Marshawn Lattimore at the moment. He is playing so, so well. Great to watch. The rookie cornerback... On the right, on their right hand side, left hand side. If you're an offense, if you're watching the offense on Sunday, so uh, watching Tampa Bay's offense on Sunday, he's really, really fun to watch. Could be the defensive rookie of the year. So looking forward to that as well. Uh, we are into not into the late games yet. We still got a couple of early games to go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> good one, good one, buddy. Uh, basically, look forward to hearing if we're right from a lot of Houston Texans and Orleans Saints on the early show next week as we speak to them in the locker room. The Jacksonville Jaguars in Everbank Field looking to go up on the Cincinnati Bengals move to five and three in the AFC South. The Bengals looking to get back to five hundred, and with both of them, these are two very up and down teams this season. Two teams who have failed to go on any kind of streak at any point looking to do that um, a surprising 4-3 and three coming off the bye week is a harsh way of saying it but the Jags when they beat, when they beat the Steelers in week 5 if they'd gone into the bye week at 3-4 and four, losing their next two that would have been a real shocker so they, it was important that they won going into the bye week they won in very impressive fashion going into the bye week they've added Marcel Darius to that defensive line rotation which I think is exciting my problem is, is that they've been terrible in Florida so far. That's where their losses have tended to come. And they've been a roller coaster of a team to watch. And I just want to know that with the bye week, the extra time to prepare, the fact that Cincinnati have really struggled to get their run game going, which is the area of weakness for the Jags, I just want to know that they're going to be really well prepped, have another great defensive performance, and be able to put something together. I'm going to take the Jags, but I'm not, I, I just don't like picking the Jags at home uh, off the back of a win. Because they can't seem to put back-to-back wins together this year. <laughs> yeah, that should be the perfect situation for a win. And yet, yeah, I don't know. You're 100% right. Uh, they managed to do uh, to beat the Steelers without Leonard Fournette. And Ivory and Yeldon came in and looked really good and complemented each other well. Uh, Fournette, who's nursing that ankle injury, he was full practice uh, at, the, at the last injury report. So it looks like he could play. Marquis Lee, who has been their best receiver since Alan Robinson went out. And that's saying a lot because he's dropped a lot of key balls. He did not practice because of a knee. So a bit more Alan Hearns, or it could just be up the gut, uh, gadget plays, swing passes to their running backs. I, If I was on doing fancy, I'm not, I'm, I, um, I'm nowhere near any of the Jaguars wide receivers or tight ends because of Bortles. I'm even further away from them now as well. So, um, yeah, I'm taking the Jags. The the Bengals, that defense has looked really, really good, but they're going up against that Jacksonville defense. And Andy Dalton against that Jacksonville, Jacksonville defense. They're coming off a bye. I'm taking the Jaguars. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Right. Uh, the Los Angeles Rams taking on the New York Giants. I think this is the last. No, there's another six no, o'clock no, game. No, it's the last one. Well, no, this is the last of the six o'clock games. We got there, mate. Hooray. Um, the one and six New York Giants, who many thought would go <laughs> to the playoffs, taking on the five and two Los Angeles Rams. I think if you told me that one of these teams would be five and two and one would be one and six going into this game at the start of the season, 
I'd have taken it as ninety nine percent certain it would be the other way around. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, and that's not to slate the talent on the Rams, but new head coach. We didn't know what we expected from Jared Goff. There was a lot of moving pieces there. This has been a great year for LA so far. Yeah, a great year. I think this is some revenge for London. I think they'll do a job. I think they'll go into New York, and I think they'll beat the Giants. I'm really, really feeling good about the Rams right now. Both coming off a bye, and so it's going to be a tie. Uh, the, the, the 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 Giants only have three wide receivers on their on their roster at the moment: Roger Lewis, Tavares King, and Travis Rudolph, the rookie. I expect a lot more from Evan Ingram, Rhett Ellison, Jarrell Adams, a lot more from the guys on the out of the backfield. That's if, and that's a huge if, Eli Manning can get the ball to him because he hasn't looked good. Um, it, could it be Eli's last year? Depending on where the Giants pick, who they pick up in the in the draft, if they go for a, a, a quarterback in in that top of the first round. Oh, interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, I'm I'm taking the Rams though. I like what they're doing. I love Todd Gurley, big fan of his. Jared Goff has looked okay. I want to see more from him, though. Don't you, you just feel like it's still it's still up in the air if he actually is any good or not? I don't. I, I haven't. I, I'm yet to be convinced. Really? Yeah, I am. Yeah, maybe. I I think I'm convinced he's good, not great. I think that's where I'm sitting right now. Well, but, I, I think yeah. he is. Serviceable is a word I used earlier and will use again. And uh, it won't be the last time. I think Wade Phillips and that Rams yeah. defence are just going to have so much fun with the Giants' offensive line um, and the lack of run game and the fact that they've got no wide receivers. And I know we said all of this when they faced Denver and it should have been exactly the same thing. Denver should have absolutely cakewalked New York and it all went very wrong on that night. But it ended up that was the start of a slide for the Broncos, which we didn't necessarily see coming at that point. The Rams uh, have been a stronger team, have been more consistent, coming back from an amazing win in London. Mm. I was convinced by them that day because they were so good offensively. And the Rams' offensive line in that game were awesome, yeah. really good. And I know they were going against the Browns, and you've got to curtail it a little bit on that basis. But yeah, I'm very much going for a road win in this one. Uh, an interesting thing as well to look, uh, to be aware of is no one gave the Giants any hope going into Mile High, and that's how they played. Mm. Going back to an expectant New York crowd in New Jersey uh, who will... who They expect to win every game, regardless of how, how bad the team is playing on, how many injuries they've had. So I think that could play on the Giants' mind. And yeah, I think the Rams will go in there and do a job. Beautiful. Uh, let's move on to the 9 o'clock games then. There are three games in that evening slot this coming weekend. Uh, a couple of barnstormers. And the Cardinals play the 49ers as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> poor old you, man. <laughs> these are these could be the two of two out of the three worst teams in the NFL. Wow, to call, they call the three and four Cardinals like throwing them in the same conversation with the Browns and the 49ers. That's if I'm a Cardinals fan, I'm not happy with that at all. Yeah, but as a 49ers fan, do you understand where I'm coming from? <laughs> yeah, I completely understand. We're 0-8, mate. I'm not. I'm, I'm more realistic than that. No, but what I mean is about the about the uh, Cardinals. They're not a good team at the moment. Uh, yeah, I mean, without Carson Palmer, maybe I'm in agreement with you. And they were really bad in London. Um, but I'd still like enough elements of their defense to think that they will. Stay competitive in most games for the rest of the season. I think they're going to struggle to get more than a couple more wins. Yeah. 
And that makes for a really interesting conversation when they're picking eighth in the draft and there are good quarterbacks at the top end and they could move up or they could get one at eight. Lamar Jackson. That's who they're going for. Oh, that'd be sexy. That's Um, definitely who they're going for. That's. (laughs) Have you been back on the phone to BA? Uh, Yeah, BA told. No, he hasn't told me. Steve Kime, BA. Little conference call with Ollie Hunter. Their first round draft pick will be, and uh, time code this. It will be <laughs> Lamar Jackson. Uh, I'm a big fan of that. Um, but they are offensively a bad football team right yeah. now because they don't have Carson Palmer. Uh, Adrian Peterson, I don't think, is all the way back on the basis of one performance. I know some people are like, oh, I always believed in him. I always thought it was a scheme issue in New Orleans. I was like, I didn't. I'm not. I'm not ready to buy into that off one good performance yet. He could prove it to me with two more good performances. That's what I'm looking for. I need three out of four good games, and he's had one good and one bad so far, and he was bad against the Rams. Um, But I'm still going to take the Cardinals because... Maybe maybe I'll just risk it and take the 49ers this week. I've risked it. I've already risked it. You can see it up there on at Ollie Hunter. I've risked going for the 49ers. I believe in your guys, Guy. You believe in CJ Beathard. I believe that Beathard will feel that uh, his job is under threat. is under threat, and he will want to go out with a bang. And he's only a third-round rookie. I mean, the guy has got a future. Mate, he hasn't got a future. He's out. Time code this. No, 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 no. No, <laughs> no but I think you'll... Uh, CJ Beathard might be a better quarterback than Drew Stanton. I'll give you that. Oh, didn't... Yeah, and Drew Stanton is the quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals. Surely, surely this is a win for the 49ers. What is the, what is the Vegas line on this? You think that they're going to get off to Schneid this Can't, week? Yeah, I think they will. I really do. The Cardinals have a two-point. Oh. They'll be buoyed by the Garoppolo trade. You're trying trade. to make me pick the 49ers, and I don't like it. I think you want to. Think about this. There's a little bit of me that wants to pick the 49ers. The, the Cardinals' defense has nowhere, not played anywhere near what it had done uh, but how well, last year, the year before, really, 2015. Can we rely on CJ Bethard to pick on Justin Bethel? Are we going to know? Is he going to go? I'm not going to throw to Pierre Garcon at all because I can see that he's being covered by Patrick Peterson. So I'm going to go to Marquis Goodwin. I'm going to go to George Kittle or whoever else. Yeah. Is, do you think he's got that in his noggin? Because I haven't I mean, seen it in they've a had, They've had a. They didn't have a bribe, but they, they've got time to get that into him. They have people in his ear going. Don't throw to don't throw to Peterson. Don't throw towards Peterson. I'm telling you, the 49ers time code this. The 49ers are going to win. <laughs> I've just picked the 49ers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> There's a reason I'm ten games back on the old predictor game. <laughs> you complete fool. <laughs> yes, Will Gavin uh, Snort. Amazing. <laughs> I've given up because I, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna let Sherry win this season. I've decided. <laughs> That's my claim. I've I have won this. Do game you mean one year already? Uh, cheat his way to the victory. Well, are you Is that what you it? meant? You said. Well, it. no, you definitely said it at the top of the show. Uh... Unless you've cut that out, <laughs> <laughs> you're a disgrace. No, not at all. Um, let's talk about the two good games in the nine o'clock slot. Yes, with Washington in Seattle. Yeah, great game. Um, is it a great game? Yes, because the Washington defense is actually okay. But their O-line is so many injuries. They were literally putting in, like, third-string guys during that game. Third-string guys. <laughs> against uh, the Eagles last week. That's how they played, right? Um, no, they played the Cowboys. What? Did they? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> I think they did, actually. It was the Eagles the week before. Damn it. Uh, yeah, anyway. I'm not going to correct myself or change it. <laughs> I just, I, 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 it's all gone horribly wrong, and so I'm just going to keep going. Um, 
yeah, their O-line just has so many issues. And I don't, I just don't think Kirk Cousins can go into Seattle and do what Deshaun Watson did. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think Seattle, I'm still not convinced that Seattle's offense works longer term without getting a run game going. Last week, they had minus three rushing yards from their running backs. That's not good. Russell Wilson contributed 482 yards to a 479-yard game. That is how ridiculously bad their running game was. That's not sustainable. I'm sorry, it's not. But I still pick them to win this weekend because Washington's O-line is bad. Yeah, I've picked the Seahawks to win despite the legion of bleh. Um, <laughs> sort of fluffing it, fluffing their lines, but I don't think the Washington wide receivers are anywhere near as talented as Will Fuller V, as a, a, a famous commentator on British Airwaves said recently. Terrell Pryor's having a shocker. As Terrell well. Pryor's having a shocker. Doxon's not really um, done much, and. Jameson Crowder, they haven't got the ball enough to him. They're not going to be good on offense until those outside guys, guys. get a much better. Yeah. Get, get much better. Yeah, get much better. Uh, yeah, Seahawks for me by 10, 10 to 12 points. Ooh, gone yeah. for a big one. Yeah, time code it. Let's have the. <laughs> That's it. It's a bit. It's become a bit. It's, it's actually bit. happened. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the Chiefs against the Dallas Cowboys. Oh. <laughs> If only this is a great game. If only Ezekiel Elliott was available, this would have been an even better game. But the fact that it's in you don't believe in Freddie Morris. I'm not, I'm a big fan of Freddie. Um, the fact that it's in AT and T Stadium, the uh, I think that is negated somewhat. But the Chiefs getting back to winning ways against the Broncos, and then the the way that they blew the Broncos away in that first quarter. Uh, but still managed to win when the Broncos' defense came back. I like the. Ch- I'm, I'm taking the Chiefs in this. I like everything about the Chiefs. It's an underrated talking point. This AT and T Stadium not a good home advantage. Oh really? They actually a lot of away fans tend to travel to games there, and you tend to find that they get quite loud as well. Chiefs fans travel well yeah. and are noisy. It's not that far to Dallas, is it? I'm going to take Kansas City. I think their defense is too good without Ezekiel Elliott. And I think their offense last week started to look really good again against the Broncos. My only concern is they didn't finish drives. They relied on Butker to kick seven, five and yeah. five. Mm, pass rush against that Chiefs line. There's an argument for it being a tight game, but I think the Chiefs win. Chiefs win for me. I'm loving Justin Houston at the moment. Oakland, Miami. Sunday night football. Oh. Live on TalkSport. Possibly with us doing it live from Houston. <laughs> we don't know. If it gets sorted out. Uh, if not, it'll be Mark Webster and Greg Brady, which is yeah, probably more entertaining than us anyway. Um, Dolphins, four and three. No JHI. A head coach who's pretty pissed at how bad the offense has been recently. A returning Jay Cutler? Maybe, Maybe. we believe. To Oakland, get back again. It's actually, the reason this is an interesting game is because they're two quite bad teams. And two quite bad teams who are near enough to 500 to still care about their season. Yep. I, I've picked Oakland already. There's that desperation element. And I think that plays better into Oakland's hands than it does Miami, weirdly, even though Miami are the home side. 
It, the only thing that I think, if Adam Gase has given them a real kick up the arse and we see a completely different offensive performance from the Dolphins, then they could win. Otherwise, I am taking the Oakland Raiders. So, to be clear, you're taking the Oakland Raiders. To be clear, I'm taking the Oakland Raiders, but I'm saying the situation in which Miami win is an unexpected, on my part, complete turnaround in the offense. And that is why I've picked the Miami Dolphins. Whoa. Yeah, uh, I think we will see a similar reaction, in, especially in the backfield, to when Adrian Peterson left New Orleans and it was all cleared up. I think uh, Damian Williams and Kenyon Drake. Kenyon Drake could be a really, really nice uh, option for Miami. So that's, I think that's that's far far clearer. Um, I think they will have had a, a rocket up their ass. And also, Oakland, the last time they were on Sunday Night Football, travelling to the East Coast, it was against Washington. They got absolutely steamrolled when everyone thought that they would do the opposite to Washington. So, yeah, I'm, I'm picking the Dolphins. I think they will bounce back. That is reliant on Jay Cutler not playing, though. I, yeah, fine. I'm good at it. Monday night football. But I'm still, I'm still keeping him. Lions Packers. <gasps> Where are we watching that? Have we got, is that sorted somewhere? We've, we've got a bar, yeah. Okay, great. I'm thinking I might change my pick to the Lions. I've picked the Packers because I always do, but I think the Lions will win. I, I'm just thinking back to that performance against the Steelers last weekend where they got to the red zone five times and didn't convert once. Came away with, what, three field goals and two failed fourth down attempts. Yes. I just can't see that happening again against the Packers' defence. I think the Packers' defence is as good as the Steelers'. I love Aaron Jones, though. Oh, I love me some Aaron Jones. If people didn't believe when we said the first week Aaron Jones got into the lineup. And we said, Aaron Jones is a better running back than, uh, than Ty Montgomery. And people thought, no, what are you being ridiculous for? He's clearly the backup. He's a rookie. Yeah. Let me give you these stats. Okay, stat me off. Ty Montgomery. Yeah. 60 carries this year. Yeah. 186 yards, two touchdowns, along so, of 11. So that's three. 3.1 yards yeah, a carry. Yeah, 3.1. 3.1 yards a carry. And generally, just not very impressive. No, and he doesn't pass but well. And he doesn't pass block particularly well, especially considering he's a wide receiver. But I do love him. A, uh, Aaron, AJ Jones, who's that? Aaron, J- Aaron Jones has had two carries more than Ty Montgomery. 62. 160 yards more <gasps> and a touchdown more. He is averaging 5.5 yards. Wow. That's Jamal Charles level. Of... <laughs> well, it is. Without the fumbles. And without the fumbles. Um, and injuries. That's the reason I think the Packers are relevant in this game because I think the run game is good, and I think that if they can, if they don't do what they did last week and have the coaches just completely wuss out when Hundley looked really good in the first half and they stick to a game plan and they stay attacking, then the then the Packers have a chance. But I think we come out of this game with two teams sat four and four. That's yeah. Win, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got you. Got you. Um, okay. So I know that it was a bit of game flow, but the Lions did well in stopping Le'Veon Bell last week. Mm-hmm. Limited him to about three yards per carry, twenty-five carries. Mm-hmm. So I think the Lions' run defense is actually pretty good, but the mm-hmm. Packers, Packers coming off of a a buy in. Lambo, Hundley Moore. I've picked the Packers, but I can understand uh, beyond 
anything else that the Lions will win. But I've picked the Packers. Beautiful. Right, that kind of rounds us up. It's actually going to end up being a really long show now once I've incited the Clancy stuff and I've done Thursday Night Football as well. But do you know what? I said three shows this week, so you've essentially got two barreled into one because we never did a third show. Uh, so thank you very much for listening. Uh, Ollie, any final thoughts? Can you make sure that you pick me up in good time uh, for the airport on Saturday? I don't want to miss another flight. I'm thinking like 5.30-ish, 5.40-ish. Yeah, it sounds great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we When's are our meeting, flight? We are meeting at 6.30 for a 9.30 flight. So we are meeting quite early. Is it 9.30 flight? Yeah, 9.25. Oh, I thought it was 12.30. Where are we flying from? I don't know anything. Heathrow. Oh, Heathrow, okay. This is why you missed the flight last year. Yeah, it really was. Uh, this year, we'll be more organised. In fact, Ben Mortimer has just tweeted a photo of him wearing the Deep South Tortoise. <gasps> no way! Uh, tweeted from the official Touchdown Trips account. Oh, have we been tagged in it or something? Uh, he tagged Gridiron in it. And me. He tagged me and you as well. They look great. It's got the... It's On the back, it's got the list of... Oh, that's like great. A, like a tall... Like a tall t-shirt. That was my idea, yeah. everyone, guys. Well done, mate. Thanks. You're a hero. The hero we all deserve. Uh, so, the next time you hear from us, we will be in Houston. Exciting stuff. Oh, that's a great t-shirt. Right, Ollie, any actual final thoughts? Uh, no. Right. Lots of love, buddy. Thank you very much to everyone for listening. At Gridiron on Twitter, this has been The Gridiron Show. The Indianapolis Colts front office is guilty of telling bald-faced lies regarding of Andrew Luck all year long. The quarterback will play no part of the 2017 season and will not be able to restore the fantasy confidence to their spluttering skill players. Not all of them require his assistance, however. Jack Doyle, one of five tight ends with more than 100 receptions since the beginning of the 2016 season, has been a picture of consistency this year. He has five or more catches in five of his six games and has seen double-digit targets in two of his last three. The Colts take on the Texans this week, a team who allowed two touchdowns to Jimmy Graham last week as well as allowing a top-12 PPR performance from a tight end in three of their last four games. With top-tier tight ends like Rob Gronkowski and Kyle Rudolph on a bye this week, the man with a name like a gangster is an offer you can't refuse in Week 9. Matt Ryan is currently in possession of the longest streak with at least 200 passing yards in a game in NFL history, as well as the longest current streak with at least one passing touchdown. But it's hard to deny that the reigning MVP is not operating as well as he did last year. He hasn't thrown for 300 yards since Week 1 and has multiple touchdown passes just twice all season. It's not a week in which one can be too choosy a quarterback, especially with Tom Brady and Phil Rivers sitting out, so the likelihood is that you'll have to play Ryan. But tempering expectations must be in order against the Panthers, who have allowed just one 300-yard passer this season and have not allowed a single passing score in half of their games. With Drew Stanton at quarterback for the Cardinals, rational thought would lead us to believe that they will attempt to lean more heavily on their ground game than they have been doing so far. This should mean a healthy dose of work for Adrian Peterson, who needs just 17 rushing yards and one rushing touchdown to become the seventh player with 12,000 yards and 100 rushing scores in NFL history. No team is allowing more yards from scrimmage to running backs than the 49ers this season, and even without the boost of receiving down work, Peterson is a solid play. In the same game, but on the other side of the field, is Pierre Garçon. His first season with the 49ers has been quite a productive one, with only four NFC-wide receivers amassing more receiving yards than the former Colt. 
but no player in the entire NFL has seen more targets without a single touchdown. He will likely draw the attention of Patrick Peterson for large parts, and this mixed with the fact that his quarterback is still C.J. Beathard doesn't exactly make one's heart sing for Garcon's prospects this week. Being the backup to Jordan Reed is far from a desk job, with the incumbent always likely to be thrust into the starter role in the stead of the off-injured Reed. This looks like it will be happening again this week, as Vernon Davis will step up with Reed recovering from the hamstring injury he sustained against the Cowboys. Since 2016, in the five games that Davis has played in which Reed has been missing, he has averaged more than 11 PPR points a contest. He also currently leads all tight ends with at least 20 receptions with 18.3 yards per catch. The Seahawks are missing a playmaker of their own in Earl Thomas, and his absence makes Davis all the more attractive this week. They say a rising tide brings up all ships, but I say that a bloody big iceberg can sink them all too. This has been the case with the Packers ever since Brett Huntley came into the lineup, a move that has seen the Packers score on just 5 of 20 possessions in their last two games. Aaron Rodgers' injury seriously derailed any lingering fantasy appeal Martellus Bennett may have had this year. He has 24 catches for 233 scoreless yards in 2017, and is already sounding like a retired player on social media. The Lions have been hot and cold against tight ends this season, with two games in which they've allowed more than 100 yards to the position, and three when they've held them to 27 or less. But the Hunley factor does not inspire any confidence in Bennett ahead of Monday Night Football. During the Cheltenham Festival, Betway are giving you the chance to win £50,000 in the free-to-play or to win game. Head to betway.com to play now. Up next, more horses. Horse, horse, horse. Horse, horse, horse. Horse, horse, horse. Full terms apply. 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. <laughs> 